Hello everyone and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifesightNews.com. Today we're going to be talking to somebody we've had on the podcast several times, so you'll probably recognize his name and his voice, and that is Alex Shaddenberg of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, one of Canada's most long-standing and premier advocates against euthanasia and assisted suicide and in defense of the vulnerable. Uh, one of his books is called Exposing Vulnerable People to Euthanasia and Assisted Suicide. Suicide. He has also uh, helped create several documentaries exposing the danger of euthanasia. And the reason I'm having Alex on again on the podcast after we had him on just some time ago is because here in Canada, our euthanasia regime is expanding dangerously fast, and there are a number of new developments that needed discussion. And especially because there is actually an opportunity to support a parliamentary bill that would actually ban euthanasia. Asia for people suffering from mental illness. I thought it would be very good to have another discussion with Alex to catch us all up on where things are at in Canada so people could remain updated and people could get active. Here's my conversation with Alex Schattenberg. Uh, all right, Alex, you came on the show uh, a couple of months back to talk about how the uh, air quotes made regime was unfolding in Canada and how our, our euthanasia rate is escalating and basically what the situation was as the Trudeau government plans to expand. But there are updates to this situation in a whole bunch of different areas. And to start off, um, I guess I'll just ask you to inform all of our listeners where we're at in Canada right now and what's concerning you the most at the moment. Well, there's a few things going on in Canada. The one is the fact that uh, Bill C-7, which passed in uh, March 17th of 2021, uh, one of the things that it had done, so now that, now we're talking about history, but it comes into our present day, one of the things that it had done is that it had legalized euthanasia for mental health alone, mental, mental issues alone. And so when you look at that question, they had put a two-year moratorium on it at that time, meaning that as of March of 2023, we were going to start killing people for mental mental health issues alone and they said that you had to have an irremediable medical condition which of course means that they'd have to have a chronic mental health condition or possibly you know a long term etc is what they were saying but you know the problem with all these things is they never defined it then uh, then in last december the government announced that they were going to delay it until march of 2024 because they felt uh, they may need more how would you say guidelines around the, uh, killing people with mental illness and now right off the bat this is a serious concern and, and it should be – first of all, let's state from the beginning, I oppose killing people. So obviously speaking, you know, I'm opposed to uh, killing Jonathan Van Maren. I'm opposed to killing people who uh, might be terminally ill. I'm opposed to killing people with uh, mental illness issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, nonetheless, uh, this issue really does change the question because we're looking at uh, people who have uh, several factors. One of them is that they they might not have the same level of capacity to make decisions about themselves or their mental illness. One of the um, one of the how would you say uh, symptoms of the mental illness might be that they are not fully capable of making decisions for themselves. So right off the bat, the whole concept of capacity, consent, issues like that, that's totally different when we're talking about people with mental illness, not to say that it's acceptable for other people. Um, but you can see this is a change. This is a, a, a movement, right? Uh, the other thing about it is that uh, the question of irremediability. How could you say that somebody with a mental illness has an irremediable medical condition, meaning that it is unlikely to get better, it is unlikely to improve, 
improve. And, uh, you know, key psychiatrists have argued that uh, there is no such thing as a mental illness that is irremediable. Uh, there might be people who might have an irremediable condition, but they you can't predict that, meaning uh, we don't know who's going to get better and who's not going to get better. There are many factors when we're talking about people with uh, mental health issues. And so, as our, yeah, our, our, our mutual acquaintance, Dr. John Mayer, who's worked with people suffering from mental illness for decades, says that there is no case that he has ever encountered that cannot be improved. And what he said was, we never run out of treatment options. Those were his words. That's exactly it. And the thing of it is, is if you consider what it means to be human and how our bodies work, uh, treatment uh, really does differ based on the person. And and the problem with this is it's not a, an exact science, meaning uh, you can't do a genetic test on me and a genetic test on the type of cancer I have. Because, you know, often that's how our cancer treatment is done today. They, they genetically test the cancer you have, and then they know exactly what type of cancer that is. And then they formulate a treatment based on that. You know, when you have issues around mental health, uh, it's, it's a variable question. And it might be caused by different things, whether that be uh, you're needing, uh, you know, certain types of medications because you might have an imbalance or whether it means that you uh, need a certain type of counseling, a certain type of support, a certain type. It's very variable. Certain people have have a greater effect by different treatments. But the, the greater question here also, then you talked about uh, Dr. John Mayer, and he's a, he's a very important psychiatrist because, you know, he's involved with uh, with uh, patients with difficult cases. And that's that's his specialty, right? So you know, and not to say that other psychiatrists don't deal with uh, difficult cases, but John Mayer, his specialty is people with difficult cases who have, other psychiatrists are having difficulty in treating. And he points out that you know quite a few of his patients have suicidal ideation as one of their symptoms. So this is a symptom of the condition, suicidal ideation, and that's very concerning because that means many of them might have attempted suicide before, and 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 we know that this is a you know a very difficult situation because. Uh, Often people who will attempt suicide might attempt it again, and we don't want that to happen. So they're spending, they're they're working professionally to deal with patients in order to prevent their suicide, and then the government passes a law that says, oh, if you determine that they have an irremediable condition, then you can actually kill them, which means really you're you're uh, you're giving them a clean gun. It's like a you are actually completing their suicidal ideation. You're completing their suicide, which is actually one of their symptoms. It, it becomes a bit ridiculous. And you heard me say in the last uh, interview that uh, the problem with uh, legalizing euthanasia, it does, really does turn everything upside down because what's considered to be normal and acceptable, what's considered to be the proper way of handling something suddenly becomes the opposite. Everything starts looking like opposites. And it really does uh, mess up what you would call uh, understanding what it means to be human, how you deal with the nature of the human person, how you deal with the human reality becomes the opposite. You know, killing becomes a solution to people with uh, suicidal ideation. Anyway, so this is now being delayed until March of 2024. It's important to mention that there is a bill in Parliament right now. Bill C-314 had its first hour debate a few weeks ago. Uh, it's um, <clears throat> Sorry, it's been sponsored by... Ed Fast, the Honorable Ed Fast, because he was a cabinet minister in a previous conservative government. And it's a very good bill because it's uh, it's right on the money. It de it just deals with that issue, and it's very clearly worded. Like it's not what you call a very long bill. Some of these bills go on for pages and pages and pages, and you wonder what else is it saying. In his bill, no, it's very clear. It's only dealing with the question of euthanasia for mental illness, and it would uh, make it would reverse that. Now, 
I'm saying this is a very good thing. It's a very good piece of legislation. Uh, hopefully it can be, be, be passed. But as you know, it's a private member's bill. And I'm brutally honest about our democratic deficit we have in Canada. So uh, nonetheless, the, he is bringing us hope. He is giving us a reason to discuss further this issue of euthanasia for mental illness. But my concerns, of course, is that the our current government is uh, on the road uh, and intentionally making sure that we move towards more killing and this time killing of people with mental illness. So, so I want to I, I want to ask a question about I want to ask a question about what you just said because I'll admit. So one of the questions I get often in presentations, and I'm sure you get you get a similar question, and because of my extreme bias against uh, um, the prime minister and his government, because obviously I'm a pro-life social conservative and his government is the antithesis of pretty much everything I believe in. Um, but I, I, I want to, you know, try to extract myself from my biases and honestly consider what it is about this government that's so hell bent on expanding a euthanasia uh, to areas where there seems to be more of a Canadian consensus in opposition. So, it's not primarily pro-life Christians, pro-life Catholics, um, pro-life religious no. people who are fighting against this. In order to push this legislation through, what we're seeing is the international press look at Canada as a cautionary tale. We're seeing disability groups speak almost unanimously on the issue. You're seeing suicide prevention uh, groups come out. You're seeing the relatives of people who have been euthanized come out and talk about the horror or the horrors of their experience. Um, you have the CBC of all places. And you and I remember very yep. clearly how the and, CBC, and, and the Toronto star, you see, <laughs> we, right, yep. we all remember very clearly how these news outlets dealt with people like us, you know, in 2015, 2016, we were just sort of crazy people, um, inveighing against bodily autonomy and, and opposing end of life care as they, as they put it. But now, despite the fact that the mainstream press is more or less uh, in opposition to expanding it to mental illness and that this has spread from, you know, a lone editorialist like Andrew Coyne to, as you say, you know, the Toronto Star, which referred to it, I believe, is um, Hunger Games style social Darwinism. Um, yeah. You've got all of these these uh, major outlets that were on board with the initial legislation uh, opposing it. And then I, I keep on coming back to this. The disability groups, um, you know, the mental health groups, the assisted uh, or sorry, sorry, the suicide prevention groups are all opposed to this. And yet, um, with all of this, like you feel kind of helpless and you start to veer towards, um, thinking the Trudeau government just doesn't care and wants to get rid of these people. Because I keep on asking myself who else, what else would it take for them to veer away from this path? Like what group isn't speaking out? Is there anything that might actually change their mind about this? Because from my view, we're running it like, you know, there's almost a perfect grassroots uprising, uh, a grassroots uprising that has leaked into the progressive press. And yet still David Lametti, when he was getting cornered by that CBC host on the fifth estate said, no, nope, yes. it's not a delay. This is going to happen. He looked uncomfortable. It's one of the first times I've ever seen a CBC host actually go after a progressive politician on an issue where I, I agreed with her and yet nothing. So what is it about, about, you know, expanding it to mental illness that, 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 that makes the Trudeau government so hell bent because, because of my, my, my preexisting bias towards this government, I end up just going to, they don't care they want to get rid of these people. They're eugenicists. I know that's probably, um, my bias he's flaring up, but again, why, why, why won't they stop? 
Well, it's a very actually a good point you're making, Jonathan, because the fact of it is, is uh, we've never had a situation where there's been uh, pretty wide consensus, like uh, polling, etc. Uh, you didn't mention even the United Nations uh, Organization for Disability Rights, for the United Nations themselves, uh, condemning Canada's, uh, you know, a program on euthanasia for what it's doing. And, and yet the fact of it is, is that they continue to move on this. Uh, I'm also glad you mentioned the Fifth Estate program, because it was actually that program. You might remember it was after that program was was uh, played, that, that that program was seen on television, that Lametti came out saying, oh, we're going to delay it by a year. So there was the two factors that actually caused him to delay it by a year. One was, of course, you had this overwhelming amount of stories coming out of the disability community of people with poverty, people with, you know, homelessness, people unable to get medical treatment, all, you know, seeking euthanasia, not because they wanted to die, but because they felt that their situation was hopeless, living their current life was hopeless. And of course, you add mental illness to the question and you've got an explosive bomb. And and uh, Lametti looked so bad on that Fifth Estate program, I believe one of his, it must have been a couple of his advisors who took him aside and said, you know, we really ought to turn down the heat on this issue. And they, of course, did that by delaying it for a year. Why did they keep moving on this? I think the, I think the government's absolutely convinced that this is a right. <laughs> And part of that's with this combination of what's gone on. So with um, with the Carter Court decision, the Supreme Court decision that led to the legalization of euthanasia in Canada, the Carter decision never ever said that there was a right to euthanasia in Canada, but it came pretty close to saying that. When you read the language of the of the decision, it appears that someone meant to say it, but then decided in the end we better not say that because you know they come very close to saying it but the words are just not in the document. There is no right to euthanasia in Canada. Uh, so you have a reality that they struck down the old law. They were talking about this as being a, a situation dealing with it was absolutely wrong to allow people to sell. Like the Carter decision was was such a political decision. It was insane that the Supreme Court was not just uh, you know uh, tattered with that because it was, it was not really a, a court decision. Nonetheless, you can see how they didn't say that, but then the euthanasia lobby and people like Jocelyn and Downey, who is considered Canada's leading voice on euthanasia in Canada. Now, remember, Jocelyn Downey receives money from the Trudeau Foundation. Jocelyn Downey receives money from all those that that uh, end of the spectrum, and so she's become she is the most pro-euthanasia, um, you know, academic. And I say that with quotes, academic, even though technically she's an academic uh, in Canada. And yet at the, at the same time, uh, she is treated like she's uh, unbiased and neutral. And she's the one who's pushed over and over and over again the right to euthanasia. Remember, when we legalized euthanasia in Canada, it was Jocelyn Downey who was who was uh, given the responsibility to impose this law onto Canada, to uh, tell the uh, ministries of health provincially how this should be done, to set up the guidelines. So when the hospices were all being told, you're, you know, if you're receiving money from the uh, from the Ministry of Health, you're going to have to offer euthanasia. When they were being told that, this wasn't an accident. This was a Jocelyn Downey push. This was a push by her and her friends, and it was all paid for by our federal government. So you have this uh, this push, but you see it goes both ways because they were also then uh, working on Lametti, and Lametti was one of them already. Remember, Lametti voted against the original. Um, Bill C-14, euthanasia law, in 2016, and he voted against it not because he was opposed to it, because he thought it didn't go far enough.
So when Lametti was appointed as justice minister, your prime minister, Trudeau, he knew exactly who he was appointing. He was appointing somebody who was going to move the yardstick on euthanasia far further. And that's exactly what he's been doing. Here's what I don't understand about, about these people. And I mean this in total sincerity is that unlike, so I understand why people support abortion. Um, I'm a pro-lifer. We talk to thousands of people on the streets with our organization. I understand why they support abortion. I understand why they, they support most aspects of, of the sexual revolution. There's obviously a lot of self-interest that plays into support for these things. But here's what I don't understand about support for uh, assisted suicide for mental illness. Everybody knows somebody who has mental illness. Everybody knows somebody who's experienced suicidal ideation. Yes. Justin Trudeau's own mother was known as you know quite a courageous advocate for those with with mental illness by being very open about her story, writing about it, giving speeches yes. on mental illness. And so what I don't understand is how these people don't operate in self-interest on this issue the way they do on these other issues. Because does, does, does the prime minister, for example, not stop and think if my mother had had access to this when, when she was suicidal and when she wanted to kill herself, would she be with me still? Um, are none of these liberal MPs who are voting for this thinking of the people in their lives who in their darkest moments might have availed themselves of this service, air quotes, uh, and been and been euthanized. And so that's why I struggle. What frustrates me about this aspect of it is just I understand why people support all of these other things that I think are are, are morally wrong. I do not understand from the perspective of pure self, pure amoral self-interest, why the prime minister and the liberal caucus support this. I really don't. Yeah, and I, I, I share your confusion, but you know, the problem with all this, Jonathan, is everything turns upside down. We've legalized killing. I, I When I give my talks lately, I've had this difficulty, and you heard one of my talks recently where I start by saying, I wish I had some good news for you. I wish I could share good news with you right now. At this moment in Canada, I don't have a lot of good news, and I wish I did. We're going to have to create some good news by being, you know, the, how would you say, the bulwark against euthanasia, the, the people who are involved with trying to help people uh, choose life life and uh, feel that they are being supported. But nonetheless, we go back to this. The issue is even worse than what you're saying, because you consider this whole – like London, Ontario, where my office is in um, – we had a report recently saying that we had 600 homeless people in London. Now, I know this varies. Some people, we might at this very moment not have 600, but there was a report recently in our London media about we had 600 homeless people and how this was like multiple times higher than just a few years ago. And uh, the crisis is beyond uh, what we can deal with right now. And we need to totally change how we're dealing with homelessness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those things are true. But if you look at the homelessness problem, and my office is not far from the men's mission. So, you know, I, I, I recognize, I see these people walking down the streets, then you understand that these are human beings who are going through, not all the time, but often they're going through addiction issues, they're going through mental health issues, they have some serious problems that they need help with. Absolutely. So if we're talking about euthanasia for people with disabilities, which is what we've had since March of 2021, and they're talking about the fact that they can't get medical treatment, they're talking about the fact that they're living in poverty, they're talking about the fact that they're experiencing homelessness, and they're asking for death, now they're being approved for death based Based on their disability, right? But they're asking for based on homelessness, poverty, dis, you know, an inability to get effective medical treatment for their needs, etc., and more things than that. But you know, what well, now consider people with mental illness? These people are on the streets. These people have a terrible time getting proper medical care. Uh, these people are are living in abject poverty very very often, or they wouldn't be in the streets. And and the fact of it is, is my heart goes out to them. But I'm thinking, you're going to allow them to have euthanasia? 
And a lot of them have a, have a long-term suffering. It's true. I'm not arguing with that because we don't have the services we need for them. And I'm not, as you know, I'm not just some, um, you know, raving liberal who thinks that I have to do everything for everybody. But I do recognize that people who have such great needs as they have do need support. They do need help. And it's the responsibility of society to help them. And, of course, what are we doing instead? Um, we're, we're uh, you know, they're actually coming up with some good ideas re recently, but now we're going to be offering them death. So I agree that what's going to happen is you will have a few less homeless people because, of course, some of them who have been in the streets for many years will choose to go to their doctor or a doctor and ask for euthanasia. Now that doctor might be against euthanasia, but then of course they'll be feeling forced to, to refer them to the dying with dignity people. And of course they'd be happy to kill them. So the fact of it is, is yes, you will uh, have a lessening of your homelessness problem because of course some of them will die. And, and this is horrific if you think about it, because it's abandonment. You know, this is the whole thing. The culture, they sell us freedom, choice and autonomy, right? That's how they sold us to us. They said euthanasia, it's freedom, choice and autonomy it's my body don't don't you tell me what to do with my body no first of all it didn't make sense it was a it was a logical fallacy because of course we're talking about somebody injecting me so right off the bat when did it become my freedom my choice and autonomy when somebody else is injecting me yes i might have asked for it there are many reasons i might ask for it, but you know what i'm getting to the 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 whole Logic is 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 not there at all. Uh, so the concept of how they sold it was based on our fear of suffering, our loneliness, our all these other issues. But the reality is, is what they did is they said it's it's legal in Canada for a doctor or nurse practitioner to kill you. That's what the law actually said. And of course, as we've gone through before, I'm going to quickly do this so you understand our Canadian law why it's so bad. It lacks definition. Why have we gone so much quicker and further than the Netherlands and Belgium and much faster than them? Uh, well, there's several reasons, but one of them, our law lacks any definition. So, you know, for instance, the original law says your natural death had to be reasonably foreseeable. That's not defined. Now it says essentially, essentially what it says. Now there's other parts to it, but there are things I can't assess it at all. Uh, that says you have to have an irremediable medical condition. Well, what's an irremediable medical condition? There's lots of people with an irremediable med Well, what do you mean by this? Uh, yeah, that could be diabetes. It, it could be. You're absolutely right. And, and you know the case, of course, of uh, Keanu in Toronto, who was diabetic, who was approved for euthanasia. He's only alive today because his mother, his mother Margaret, uh, was absolutely shocked that her 23-year-old son was going to die by lethal injection. She just, it was, she was just beside herself that she uh, really uh, went to the media and imagine in a big way. She, <laughs> she did everything possible to stop that, and the doctor decided not to kill her son because the heat was on him. Uh, nonetheless, you know what I'm getting to. The point of it is, is that uh, this is uh, clearly about a big lie but nonetheless the fact of it is is we're getting into more and more killing but with the mental illness question if if the government thought it was bad with all those stories coming at them from people with disabilities saying we're living in poverty we're homeless we can't get medical treatment and that's why we're seeking death because of the lack of support and care we have in our broken medical system our broken social service system in canada if you think that was bad I'm, listen, I'm hoping David Lametti is listening to this. Wait till you legalize euthanasia for mental illness. 
Okay, so that was exactly yeah. the, the, the the so one more question on that file before before we move on to something else because this is that, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. So again, operating from self interest because I don't think these people have ethics, um, but they do have self interest. So when when you look at all the stories that have come out in the last couple of years, again, we've been covered in almost every major mainstream publication in the Anglosphere at this point, pointing to some of the stories that have been taking place. Um, as you pointed out, Lamedi was essentially forced to back down and delay the uh, euthanasia for mental illness because of the horrifying stories presented in the fifth estate and his inability to respond to them without looking like a ghoul. Now, this is what I don't understand as well. How would you not, as a politician, look at this scenario and only delay what's going to happen when we have an admitted mental health crisis. You have the premiers of most provinces coming forward and saying, we have a severe lack of, of registered therapists. We have a severe lack of psychiatrists. People yep. spend um, up from months to years waiting for a referral for a psychiatrist to even get on the medication that will reduce ideation. So this has been a recognized problem. And almost every major politician in the country over the last couple of years has included that problem and sort of anemic solutions to it in their platforms. And so let's say Trudeau, uh, God forbid, is still the prime minister um, in less than a year from now, made for mental illness comes in and they start killing people with mental illness by lethal injection. As you just said, these stories are going to like it's the trickle is going to turn into a torrent and they're going to be worse than what we've seen so far. How are the politicians not recognizing that their PR car crash is just going to start? I, I, you know, the funny thing is, is that, um, you know, in the past, the liberals were not being challenged by the liberal media because there was a type of an agreement between them. And I'm not going to say it's because the uh, liberal government has given hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to our, our, our major media. Because in fact, as you know, they have through their budgets. They've intentionally done that in order to, as they would say, keep our public broadcasting healthy. Uh, but in fact, what they've done is they've bought them out. Uh, but I'm not going to say that's the, the only reason. Because of, but nonetheless, they've been very uh, nice to Mr. Trudeau, and and it seems that he can't control them here. Uh, if I were a backbench liberal, as an example, because if you're in the cabinet, you get a lot of perks, and you're told you're wonderful, and you're told you're so important to our country. So you you will tend to toe the line no matter what, because you're thinking highly of yourself because you're a special person. But if you're a backbencher, you're just a politician like no other, and you're not getting perks, you're not getting this, you're not getting that. And you're looking at your riding association, you're thinking to yourself, um, you're thinking to yourself, am I going to get reelected in the next election? And you should be thinking about that because, in fact, uh, eventually Canadians will say, and this is the reality of euthanasia. A lot of Canadians support euthanasia, but they think it's gone way too far, way too far. And at a certain point, they're going to say, uh, but what were you doing for the people with mental health? What were you doing for the people with disabilities? Now they're talking about increasing the rates of money they give to people with disabilities. It's not going to actually solve the problem because they're not going to give them enough to solve the problem. But secondly, so it's good that they're going to give them some more money because it is pretty bad what they're getting in Canada. You know, I don't have to be, uh, you know, a socialist to recognize that this is pretty bad. Uh, but nonetheless, it's not going to solve the problem. No, the system has structural but, but, problems. 
Absolutely, we agree a hundred percent on that. Uh, and I, I have a son who's autistic, so he's in the he's in the system, and um, and he, and he's actually does quite well because he lives with his brother. So you know the whole system quite works quite well if you're not on your own per se, because you actually then have have uh, some uh, you're not financially dependent only on yourself. But anyway, we'll go back to this. The fact of it is, is if I were a backbench liberal, which is what I said earlier, I'd be concerned. Now, some of these cabinet ministers should be concerned also because they're in writings where where they're going to also have a problem. And they have to understand politically, a uh, slippage of pol- in politics of 1% or 2% or 3% of the vote, it doesn't take it doesn't take a slippage of 10 or 15. One, two, or three in a lot of ridings is all it takes for them to be out of their seat. And that's what's going to happen if they don't watch out because this is going to blow up in their face. And the disability community is already angry with them because of how the law is specifically worded to take them out. And so when you look at that uh, and, and you look where we're going, I think the biggest thing that, that is uh, thrown at us is, of course, the lack of funding for mental health and that they're going to allow euthanasia for mental health. So, you know, there'll be a 90 day waiting period. So, how the law works. Maybe I should have explained in the beginning how the law works is that since uh, March of 2021, if you're considered to be terminally ill, you can have a same-day death. If you go to your doctor, you get approved for euthanasia, and they kind of get signed off by another doctor or nurse practitioner, they can kill you the same day, which means your bad day becomes your last day. But if you're not considered terminally ill… Your natural death is not deemed to be reasonably foreseeable, which is not defined anyway. So this is the problem anyway. Uh, then you would have a 90-day waiting period. So people with mental health issues essentially will be determined to have a 90-day waiting period. So you could die in 90 days, but you can't get treatment in 90 days. That's insane. Yep. That's absolutely insane. I'm not suggesting I'm not suggesting that we should be killing them uh, with a 180-day with a uh, waiting period because they might be able to get treatment in 180 days. What I'm saying is the whole system is crazy, but it becomes even more absurd when you can die in 90 days, but you can't get treatment in 90 days. And that's exactly what these people with disabilities are saying now. They're saying, you know, I can be approved for euthanasia. That's easy. I can't get medical treatment. You know, I have a I have a situation where I need a specialist. There's no specialist here in Toronto, or there's no specialist there in wherever they're living in in Winnipeg or wherever you name it in the major Canadian city. I can get treatment in the U.S., but I can't get it in Canada. That was the case for Madeline. Remember the Madeline story? I can get treatment in the U.S. You give me a hundred thousand dollars, I can go to the U.S. and get treatment, but I can't get treatment in Canada. But I can get euthanasia immediately. Like that's the insanity of the reality of what we're living in, and that's exactly the 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 issue at hand. Um, I think the, also the the next thing that's concerning me. So we've talked about euthanasia for mental illness. I mentioned Bill C three fourteen. I got to co- make one more comment quickly. The democratic deficit. I'm only fifty five, Jonathan. I'm not an ancient guy yet. I'm getting older. I understand that. But when I was younger, and we're talking maybe twenty five years ago, so not ancient history. We still had a situation where members of parliament who were opposed to something could vote on something, meaning if it was, let's say, a government legislation, but it wasn't a, uh, you know, a major bill. It wasn't a bill that was going to defeat the government in any way. It was They still had conscience rights to vote their own way. So there were – 25 years ago, there were still liberals who voted you know, not with their party, and they, that was fine. And there'd be conservatives who voted not with their party, and that was fine. So there was this whole ability to speak to your member of parliament, convince them that they should be voting against something or for something, and they would say, I'm, I'm voting with my constituents. Uh, we don't have to get into the issue of gun control, but you know, 
for years and years and years, uh, the whole issue of the gun legislation was like that, where you would have backbench liberals voting against the liberal government legislation because they'd say, in my writing, this is a no-go. We don't do this, and I personally don't agree with the law anyway. And there's other bills, too, that were like that. That's gone. Party whips are so powerful now. They, uh, they are the, – the concept of a liberal – Voting uh, in favor, I mean, against uh, a liberal backbench, whatever piece of legislation is is unconscionable. They just don't do it. You might get the odd vote on for a specific reason, such as one of the liberals, the guy from Thunder Bay, is a is a doctor, and he voted against the Bill C seven, and he said, I, "I can't support that." But he was like the one vote, right, type thing, and they allowed the one vote, but they wouldn't allow more than that. The whip would. But this is this is means we don't have democracy anymore. You, we lost our democracy, and so when I talk about Bill C three fourteen, Bill C three fourteen is uh, by Ed Fast is a no brainer. It's it's written exactly in a very straightforward, simple manner. It's only dealing with this question. It's very carved out, very straight, very simple, and the majority of Canadians would agree with him and say yes. You should pass Bill C-314. We should stop this euthanasia for mental illness. The majority of Canadians are with that. Yet the Liberals are going to vote against it en masse, and the Bloc are going to vote against that en masse, and they're going to implement euthanasia for mental illness. Now, there's a chance it might still pass Bill C-314, nor what I'm getting to, but you know, democracy is a serious problem in our country, and that's something we also have to heal if we're going to heal our country. Absolutely. A final issue is I know that you've been very concerned about changing definitions of brain death. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe explain that to our audience because I think that's very relevant to anybody listening. Well, the brain death issue, uh, and this is getting into our talk a little bit later in the whole thing, but anyway, the brain death issue has been going on for many, many years, and there's been a lot of concern because the question was, is, was the person actually dead? And, um, and a lot of people didn't understand it. So uh, the original brain death definitions came out in 1968. It was directly related to the issue of organ donation because you can, if you can determine that someone is brain dead, then you can determine – you can say they're dead. And if they are dead, then we can have their organs for organ donation, etc. So you have uh, – essentially, you had cardiac death. You had brain death as the two essential ways of determining death. And then you would have uh, organ donation then – follow that. But now you have a whole change in the culture. So in 1980, in the US, they had something called the Uniform Determination of Death Act. And that Uniform Determination of Death Act essentially defined what brain death meant. Now, the difference between the US and Canada is, is these things were all agreed to by each state. So you had a, a federal policy called the Uniform Determination of Death Act, and then it was implemented in each state. So it wasn't just immediately accepted by every state, but nonetheless, Less, uh, basically, all 50 states accepted that 1980 document, and and it lacks perfection because uh, you know determination of death varies between um, you know institutions, etc. There is no actually one formula to say, well, if we do this test and that test, we can determine yes, this person is brain dead. But the intention of the Uniform Determination of Death Act in 1980 was to say that in fact these people are dead. And we can now accept that, yes, it is fine to remove their organs for organ donation. Uh, and I would say it had imperfections because of the fact that, um, you know, 
it's more in the testing, uh, in the fact that uh, there was no clear idea as to exactly how we will determine it, but it meant that you had to actually have have a cessation of brain activity, and it refers to the brain stem, et cetera, et cetera. But now with the change of, of culture, there's an, there's an idea that's gone on, and we recognize if you read bioethics journals, and I know you do read bio, bioethics journals, you can start pulling up these articles. And uh, Trugan Miller, for instance, are key authors of these articles. Trugan Miller have been saying for a long time that, in fact, these people are not actually dead uh, with brain death. Now, in the case of Trugan Miller, they're not the only ones saying this, but the, in the, their case, they're saying they have no problem with the fact that these people aren't dead because uh, – their injury is so great that why not? Why can't we just remove their organs? So they've been arguing that this has been going on already. We're already doing organ donation on people who aren't actually dead. We're declaring them brain dead, but they're not actually dead. Uh, their 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 brain has still some function in it. Uh, they might have some ability to recover, but we don't know at this point. Uh, and obviously, once you remove your organs, you don't have an ability. But nonetheless. Um, some people would say, oh, they're outliers, but you know, I think they were saying the truth, and I've published some of their articles a few times, but nonetheless, now they're talking about actually changing the Uniform Determination of Death Act to say that, to, to, to uh, describe this is that you wouldn't actually have to be brain dead. They're redefining brain death. So they're talking about people who have what they would call irreversible conditions, or maybe you might say, as we have our euthanasia law, an irremediable medical condition, meaning they're probably not going to get better. They're probably not going to recover. They have severe, uh, let's say they had a, a motorcycle accident as a prime example. Uh, the uh, the injury to their uh, to their brain is significant. Uh, they might have some brain activity, but it's minimal, and the odds are they're not recovering. Okay, they're not recovering, and so what's going to happen is that. They're redefining, they're trying to redefine what it means to be brain dead in order then to say that, well, we don't have to wait now. We can take your organs. There's also this, and I actually don't have it in front of my face here. I might pull up the article to get the proper name for it. Uh, so I'll do this one. It might take a second. There's also this new type of organ donation technique that they're doing now. And it, it's all based on the fact that we still have uh, this brain death de definition, the old brain death de definition. And so in order to determine someone to, yeah, so I've written about several times about this Uniform Determination of Death Act, but in order to look at the issue of, um, of brain death, what they've done is they've changed how they do it. And so what they're doing now is they're saying here, I'm, I'm trying to pull up an article explaining it. So what they do is they, yeah, they have a situation now, what they'll do is they'll have a person who's agreed to be an organ donor, and they'll do is they'll pull all treatment from them, and when the heart stops beating, they will then block off the brain flow, the blood uh, flow to the brain. And I'm still looking to find the uh, actual name of this technique. It's being done in the U.S. I don't know if it's being done in Canada. Um, yeah, here you go. It's it's right here. I, I wrote an article on January 5th about this because this is a this has been accepted as an acceptable form. So what they, so when you block off the blood flow to the flow to the brain, obviously that will lead to brain death. Then what they do is they restart the heart, so the body keeps rolling, everything's healthy in the body. So they restart the heart, the body's going fine, but you know you've blocked off the blood flow to the brain. So let's get this straight: what they're doing, they wait for the heart to stop beating, they declare you dead, they block off the blood flow to the brain, they restart the heart. So the heart remains healthy. And then, of course, the organ donor is declared dead. 
already. Therefore, you can have the heart, the lungs, and they're, of course, completely healthy because you've restarted the heart and everything's fine. Uh, if you consider this, this is a, a serious issue because what you're actually doing is you're taking someone who could have been kept alive, could have stayed alive, uh, but you're instead declaring them dead. You're intentionally killing them then. And because there's no blood flow to the brain, they're saying, well, they are dead. You're removing organs from them. Uh, th this is the whole thing that's going on. It's absolutely, uh, you know, uh, crazy. It's absolutely insane. Uh, but anyway, this uh, this debate on the Uniform Determination of Death Act is very interesting because what's happened is there are some people on that committee that um, have been there for a long time. So they were appointed by previous uh, Republicans, et cetera, and they're on the, uh, they're on the uh, Uniform Law Commission. And they're uh, saying, well, no, we don't think we should change the Uniform Determination of Death Act. So right now, what they saw was going to be accomplished by this summer, around right now, has not been accomplished yet because there is this constant uh, opposition within their own committee. And uh, the, uh, the pro-death people are trying to force it through uh, because they want there to be this new Uniform Determination of Death Act, which in fact then declares you dead even though you're not dead, and then allows for more organ donation. So here I've got an article from October 20th talking about this new uh, organ transplantation, uh, new organ transplant procedure. And what it does is, is I, I clearly state here that it violates the dead donor rule. And I just described it to you. The heart stops beating. They block off blood, fl blood flow to the brain. They then uh, restart the heart. And of course, then your organs are fully healthy. Uh, everything, you know, your heart's beating, everything. But of course, they've denied blood flow to the brain. So they know you must be brain dead. And uh, and this is something that's been going on in several hospitals in the U.S. And they've been doing this as an experiment. So the, uh, the idea is because I declared you brain dead, all, I mean, it's because I declared you dead because your heart stopped beating therefore it's okay that i restarted your heart because i already declared you dead and it's okay that i blocked off blood flow to the brain because why would it matter because you're declared dead but in fact you wouldn't be dead if we didn't do that on purpose to you you know what i'm saying it's it's really quite insane um we should be all concerned about this in canada because if the uniform determination of death act were to finally push something through even something uh, more moderate than what they're pushing for right now Here's the other thing I have to say to you. Right now in the U.S., they have committees that determine that someone is brain dead. So they have to do a couple tests in the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. And then they'll have a committee say, yes, this person is brain dead. And then uh, that person is then uh, put out for organ donation because they're determined to be brain dead. Now, if you're actually brain dead, I don't have a problem with removing your organs to tell you the truth. I personally don't. If you were actually brain dead, if you're actually dead um, – that's fine with me. But the point of it is, is these people aren't necessarily actually dead. But the new Uniform Determination of Death Act says that it should be able to be determined by the doctor at the bedside. So Dr. Kevorkian at your bedside, <laughs> he determines that you're dead. And then, of course, you are now an organ donor. Now, you might not be dead, but you are an organ donor. You're declared dead. And the family also in the past – and the old system, the family had the right to challenge, and they're removing that. They're saying, well, the families, you know, we've had too many of these cases where the family was challenging. The family said, no, 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 dad looks pretty good still. <laughs> you know, you're, you're declaring him brain dead, but he, he doesn't actually look dead. He's doing pretty good, actually. Um, his color's perfect. He's breathing fine. His, you know, there's no, uh, you know, his the rhythm of his heart's good. Everything seems pretty good. Uh, he might be near to dead, but he's not dead. Uh, so you've had these cases going on. In Canada alone, we had actually two cases in the last few years that 
a lawyer in Toronto, Hugh Share, fought, and they were over this issue of brain death also. And um, and so there, this is a real issue that's been going to the courts in Canada and the U.S. So they're saying, no, it shouldn't go to the courts. Once you've been declared dead, you are dead, which means uh, it doesn't matter if you're actually alive. You are dead and your organs are up for grabs. So um, final final question is a lot of people listening will hear that that there's a lot of stuff going on that's still in flux with the situation. Um, there's a lot of debate going on. Um, obviously, they haven't implemented euthanasia for mental illness yet. So as a final question for listeners, especially in Canada, who want to do something, is there anything that people can do right now before this new aspect of the regime comes into play? Well, that's why I was talking about Bill C-314. I do think that that's a very good bill. I do think that Ed Fast, it, you know, obviously uh, I would like us to have no euthanasia, right? I have no interest in, I think Canada is crazy for killing people. Uh, nonetheless, if you're going to prevent euthanasia for mental illness, and the majority of Canadians agree that that should be done, that we shouldn't have euthanasia for mental illness, uh, then uh, his bill is perfect because he, he properly defined it. And you should be pressuring your members of parliament. I talked about the democratic deficit because I know that's a problem that we also have to solve in this country. I don't have to be from the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. I could be from any agency telling you that I think that the concept that private members' bills and these more minor pieces of legislation that have nothing to do with the rise or fall of a government should have free votes. Uh, I think that's how democracy was designed to work. Um, but nonetheless, we don't have that. But uh, if we pressure these uh, people enough, you know, there's a good chance that some of these liberal backbenchers will say, I've got nothing to lose. I should be supporting this bill because guess what? Um, if I can't say to my constituents during the next election that I was concerned about some of these things, then I could see them voting me out. And they should vote you out if they're, if you just were just some uh, lapdog for the liberal government. And I'm not going to say things also about the conservatives. The conservatives should also allow free votes on these things. And I don't want just to elect someone who's going to be a lapdog and do something maybe that's inappropriate if, he, if the conservatives got in, right? It's the same thing. But in this case, 314 is a very good piece of legislation. They should be supporting. There's no reason not to support it. Um, and, of course, that would only be the first hurdle if 314 got through uh, the House because then it would have to get to the Senate. And you and I know that there's serious problems with the Senate now. Uh, but the first step is the first step, getting it passed in Parliament. It had its first hour debate a couple of weeks ago. The second hour debate is going to be in early uh, in late September, early October, depending on how the days fall within Parliament, right? And um, and and this is something that uh, all members of Parliament they have no reason not to support this. This uh, the polling shows Canadians support it, etc. One final thing I want to say to you is, how bad is it in Canada? I predict that we had 13,500 euthanasia deaths in 2022, which would, have been, which would have meant there was another 35% increase in 2022 over 2021. Now, why am I talking about this? The federal government hasn't released the data yet. The federal government's really slow. Like, they're so slow. They have the data. They just they just want to, you know, make it look nice. So it takes them forever to release the data. We've seen massive growth in euthanasia in Canada. And you may say, and if I was pro-euthanasia, I guess I would be saying the same thing that they're saying. They're saying it's a success. Look at the demand. It's a success. But really, they should be in shock because not only the increase in the numbers, but the increase in the reasons for euthanasia in Canada. It's gone, it's gone insane. I'm sorry. It is insane. There's no other word for it. I wish I could say, oh, Jonathan, well, you know, no, this is insanity. Uh, the fact of it is, is that um, uh, the only way that we can really reverse this situation as a, a culture is we have to start, you know, I say we have to go back to calling it what it is. We shouldn't be afraid to say, you know, they're killing people. 
we can't be afraid of saying this. They're killing people because that's what it is. You know, medical aid and dying is just the word to make you feel better. No, they're killing people. The other thing is people are vulnerable at times in their life. They're killing people at a vulnerable time of their life. They're killing your 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 uncle, your aunt, and they're pressuring them. We have made teams in all major hospitals in Canada, made teams who are selling euthanasia to them. I get phone calls. I got a phone call from a woman saying, Alex, how do we convince the people in my in this hospital to stop asking my husband if he wants made? He's already said no five times. How many times does he have to say no before they stop asking him? Like, think about it. Think about the pressure on people that's going on in our system. They're selling it. Uh, 7% of all deaths in 2022 in Quebec were euthanasia. 7%. Like, that's just the beginning. It's it's not, oh, 7%. It's horrific. Well, that makes it the highest in the world. But it's not stopping there. It's going further and further and further and further. Now we're talking about mental illness. We're talking about children. We're talking about newborns. We're talking about by advanced directive. I uh, mean, uh, in the near future, we'll be talking about just going to the, going to the doctor, getting your lethal drugs, and doing it. That's what we'll be talking about. Where can people go? Uh, where can people go to find out how to effectively lobby their MPs? Well, actually, there's quite a few groups. You can come to the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. Uh, if you go to uh, and also our information, you can email us at info at epcc.ca. I've got articles about it. Uh, on top of it, there's several other groups. I know that ARPA has been uh, supporting Bill C-314. There's a few other groups like that. So ARPA is the Association of Reform Political Action. I think Campaign Life Coalition has got information out. Uh, you can just Google it. You can Google Bill C-314. It comes up. And I know that uh, uh, the Honorable Ed Fast has uh, a petition online that you can just if you just google it it comes up and there's a petition you can sign that petition but what you need to do is you need to contact your member of parliament and say to them no i oppose euthanasia for mental illness i think this is absolutely a crazy idea uh we shouldn't be killing people with mental illness we should be caring for them we should be helping these people these people need help not death you know when did uh, when did lethal injection become a treatment for suicidal ideation and on top of it you know we want you to support Bill C-314, and I'm not voting for someone who's not going to support Bill C-314. And here's another thing. There's a good chance there's an election coming up sometime later this year. And I think people should be saying that to their uh, members of parliament because they're all thinking election, 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 election. If they think this issue has no consequence to them, guess what? Why would they care? Why would they care? So make it make it a, an issue of consequence. We've been uh, sending out uh, petitions online, etc. We've been supporting. We've been doing what we can. But you need to talk to your members of parliament and say to them exactly that. I'm not voting. And they might say, well, you wouldn't vote for me anyway. Yeah. Well, my daughter who goes to university, she's not voting for you either if you're not going to vote against – I mean vote in favor of Bill C-314 and against euthanasia or mental illness. So we have to be like this. We have to be clear. Like this uh, being all – I'm not saying being disrespectful, but being this, you know, lightly polite. And no, we're talking about killing people. Call it what it is. Alex, thanks for taking the time again. Thank you, Jonathan. Very good. Had a lot of fun today. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Alex Shaddenberg of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. Thank you for listening this week. If you'd like to listen to past shows or subscribe to keep track of future shows, please head over to LifeSightNews.com. Click on the podcast tab. You'll find the Van Maren Show there. Thank you for listening this week. We appreciate your time, and we hope you'll join us again next week.